Good morning and welcome to church. It's my privilege to share um, a message with you this morning. And this morning I'm going to be reading out of Psalm 126, a song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues were songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying the sheaves with them. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. And we thank you that we are restored in our relationship with you because of the completed work of the cross. As we come around your word this morning, wherever we might find ourselves, Father, we pray that your word will have a continued effect on us and that your Holy Spirit would continue to work and take the words of this message and work it within our lives till fruit is available, evident and shared. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. When we look at the book of Psalms, scholars agree that Psalms present issues for interpretation. This is because when you're working with Hebrew poetry and all that that genre contains, um, it becomes a little difficult, becomes a little unclear and is quite nuanced or for the moment for which it was written. And often there is no surrounding context to help us understand the historical setting. So all you and I are left with are these six verses for Psalms 126. The content, the form of poetry, and the vocabulary that we have to obtain the full meaning of what the writer was hoping to achieve. Now, it is generally agreed that the Songs of Ascent are one of 15 psalms in the series from Psalm 120 to Psalms 134 and were sung by the Hebrew pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem or possibly while ascending Mount Zion or while ascending the steps of the temple. What makes Psalm 126 unique amongst the Song of Ascent is that it has been accepted that it is a post-exilic psalm that it was written after they had left the exile and were returning to Jerusalem. But as I said before, there are varying views on what it actually means. So for the purpose of today, we're going to reflect on these six verses and, and lift out a couple of words and, a couple of, and agree on a couple of pieces of understanding so that we might come to a conclusion and be challenged. And so I'm going to share a little bit of what that is about. When you look at Psalm 126, there are two distinct different, different parts to it. Verses 1 to 3 and verses 4 to 6. And as you read verses 1 to 3, you realize that it's all about something that happened. And verses 4 to 6 is about a desire for something to happen. And it's important that we understand these two moments in time as to how they relate to you and me here today, because it made sense to those returning from exile then and the cry through the ages to where you and I find ourselves today. What was done, verses 1 to 3, a request for what needs to be done, verses 4 to 6. 
When we look at verse 1 specifically, and, and there's a lot of conversation about when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Was it the fortunes? Was it him returning them? Was it him making them whole? Was, he, was it them, uh, him healing them? Th these are all different scholars have different opinions, but they all talk about a restoration. They all talk about a return to a, to, to a, a former state, a better state, the intended state of what it was meant to be. And they talk about and describe a past action in which God restored his people and as a result of this restoration it says that they were filled with joy filled with so much joy that even the Gentiles people on the outside looking in could see and knew that something had happened something had been given back to the Israelites something had happened to this nation that caused them to be exuberant in their joy their joy if you understand some of the hebrew behaviors and patterns and social norms um, some of the writers actually refer to their joy being excessive um, i'm a pretty out there sort of person so to me how does joy what does joy look like when 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 it becomes excessive but they were being excessive in their joy and, and this indicated that it was a major event so i think it's safe to say that that looking at the lines and, and looking at the interpretation God had done something significantly for his people to the point that they were exuberant and that led other people to take uh, notice of it so a major event around that time could only have been their return from exile uh, when you look at verses 2 and verses 3, and, and these are also really interesting, the, the, the concepts of the Lord has done great things for them, spoken by the Gentiles, and the Lord has done great things for us, spoken by the Jews. Um, the, the Hebrew word is actually higdal, uh, to do wonderful things. And it's really important that we understand this concept as well, that, that the writer of the psalm is actually saying, hey, God did wonderful things for his people um, what's really interesting is about this whole demonstration of god's power this wonderful things is verse 3 actually says higdal yahweh lakasoth which literally refers to this concept of the lord has done great things for us and the there this concept this thought this phrase this word is only used at one other place in the bible and that is in uh, joel chapter 2 verses 20 and 21 when the prophet writes surely he has done great things do not be afraid land of judah be glad and rejoice surely the lord has done great things and when, when you start to bring Joel chapter 2 and you start to align it with Psalm 26 and the return from exile and God having done pretty amazing things, then the, the, the value of this passage takes on a, a really interesting meaning in, 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 in it being both what God has done and prophetically what God will do. When we move to the second half of the psalm, verses 4 through to 6, and we look at the word Negev, uh, some translations are Negev, a BV in the Hebrew language, BV are interchangeable. It's the sound versus the written word. It literally means to dry or to wipe dry. Uh, and it's important to understand Negev was, was is actually not a desert. It was a semi-arid region. Um, it did receive some rain in the wet season, and it did receive flash flooding. 
and it was, it was common. And, and the, the place, uh, or the, the, the whole Negev area, um, had many wadis or seasonal watercourses, and in biblical times was quite a pastoral re um, a region. The people who lived and inhabited that area had developed techniques of terracing and conserving the winter rains, and it was quite a thriving agricultural area up to around 7 uh, CE. I do know that in 1943, uh, records indicate that modern agricultural development began, but this was because of the national water plan in the country with pipelines going in and conduits. And now they produce grain, fodder, fruit, vegetables, and even two harvests at one time, double cropping. So when I look at this, restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev, in this arid, inhospitable place, I suppose one thing, another thing we need to think about is when God uses land, or when, when, when we see uh, with reference to God, land, and His people, it's, it's generally prophetic language. Uh, God uses land to explain things. Look at creation, look at the fall of man, look at the Garden of Eden, look at the New Jerusalem. Uh, geographical locations and land is really important when you think about God uh, and us and, and the prophetic message. And when you look at what's happening here, like the streams in the Gev, um, this is consistent with the true character and nature of God. Whenever God sees something that's arid and inhospitable, His true nature and character is to turn it into something that is flourishing, something that is fruitful. And so when the writer writes here, like the streams in the Gev, he is referring to the thought and the concepts that, hey, God wants to take some, an area or a part or, 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 or humanity or a nation where it, it's, it's arid and in hospital, nothing can flourish there, nothing can be a fruit. And God wants to do something amazing, something significant with it. This phenomenon of like the streams in the Gev, um, the, 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 the comparison uh, uh, that is being used here by the writer is, number one, when the flash flooding came, there was a suddenness with which uh, the streams came gushing down. And the second thing that happens in this phenomenon is that the, the, the land suddenly became fertile, barren places produced a harvest. So for you and me here in the present, we are left with this, this short psalm rejoicing in the wonder and the power of God's might to act in fulfilling His promises to bring His people home with the prayer of even fuller manifestation of His restoring grace. When you look at it, the concluding section, this restore our fortune, O Lord, the concluding section is a prayer in the imperative form. It's an authoritative command of vital importance that says, Hey God, like the streams rush in, we want you to rush in again. Where there was sowing in tears because they anticipated a ruined crop, now we're actually returning with a harvest with joy. The restoration of Zion is unbelievable, unexpected, and it actually provokes such a joy and a laughter in them, everybody else sees and knows. As I said, there's quite a resemblance between Psalm 126 and Joel with things like the return of the Israelites, Zion, great things God has done, rejoicing, watercourses, and, and, and the harvest. 
And time doesn't permit me to go into that here today. But whatever the exact relationship between Joel and Psalm, the similarities in thought and in the general time of the composition, the specific phrase which occurs only in Joel and the Psalm is used by the prophet to describe a dramatic intervention of God on behalf of his people. Our God intervening on our behalf. And so we have this poetry. We have this song, this prophetic picture for a people then and for us here now. For them, it was about a future event that they anticipated. While for us, it is a lived reality, should we choose to step into it. Jesus came, taught about the kingdom of God, died, was buried, rose again and ascended into heaven, giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The valley is flooded. We sow and reap in joy with the certainty of the harvest. Won't you step into this reality with me here today? Understanding that as that psalmist prayed and declared and said, God, I want you to flood the valleys, that God has flooded the valleys and they are always flooded for you and for I. They are perpetually being flooded again and again. All we need to do is to enter in. In closing, an Albanian biblical scholar commented while on an excursion with archaeological students to the region in 2018 that they were informed by their tour guide that the biggest issue facing the Negev region in the future was not politics, was not military might, but water. And aren't you and I glad today that spiritually we don't need to worry about politics and military might and power or water? Because we have living water. We're in it, through it, through us. Like a child, we can run, jump in, swallow it, spit it out like a fountain in a swimming pool and just have fun. Let's think about that this week. We're not waiting on a flood. It is perpetually flooded. Let's enter in. Father, we just thank you that because of what you've done in the past, what you're doing now and what you're doing in the future, we can splash in the water, be immersed in your spirit and filled with your spirit and that we are assured of the harvest. You have done good things, you are doing good things and you will do good things. To you, God, be all the glory. Amen.